0: You know, I'm just encouraged. I'm so excited to be preaching John 10 to you this morning because I knew if this day comes, I pass ordination. (laughs) I can speak about a shepherd as an ordained shepherd. So there's a double reason why my heart is um, excited this morning. Now we're at the 10th chapter of the Gospel of John. We began this study over two years ago. And when I... When I chose the Gospel of John, I mean, there are many passages that I looked forward to studying. Um, John chapter 3, God's love for the world. Our Lord's dialogue with Nicodemus, that was a passage that I yearned to study. A passage that we will be studying. John 15, I'm the vine, you are the branches, is a passage that I look forward to. Even John 17, the high priestly prayer of Christ. And John 21, our Lord's restoration of Peter. I mean, these are just great stories in the life of Christ that, that have been a blessing and will be a blessing to us. And this passage in John 10 was on that list. Our Lord's identifying Himself, revelation to, the, to His people, <clears throat> that He is the Great Shepherd, that He is the true and good Shepherd of, of Israel. It is a beloved passage of all students of the Bible. Arthur Pink rightly says that this is truly one of the greatest passages in the Gospel of John, if not the whole New Testament. <clears throat> J.C. Ryle says that this is a passage loved by Christians throughout church history. The title Good Shepherd. It says so much about our Lord, does it not? Tells us His heart, His love for us, His care for us. It perfectly portrays His role as our protector, our, our provider, and our leader. And, and to me, it has a special significance Because that is a title that I most identify with. I don't identify with the title of reverend. That has no significance for me or a bishop. But a title of a pastor, under-shepherd, below Christ, a lowly, blue-collar, agrarian worker, um, is something that I, I identify with the most. It reminds me of my role in the church, that I'm here to serve, I'm here to protect the flock, I'm here to lead the flock, and feed God's flock as well, and maybe as Elder Bob shared as well, if that story is true, to break some legs <laughs> for those stubborn, rebellious ones, and I can carry you guys on my shoulders, and we get really close, and lead you back to the Lord. <laughs> it reminds me of that, that title. Now, for all of us, if you're a believer for any length of time, this this title of shepherd and sheep, this, this analogy, is, is somewhat familiar to all of us because it is replete in the scriptures. In the Old and New Testament, we see this come, come out again and again. We read this morning from Psalm 23 and how God is portrayed as a shepherd in the Old Testament. In Psalm 23, 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. Psalm 80, verse 1. Hear us, O shepherd of Israel, praying to God. At the same time, the Bible portrays Israel, God's people, as the sheep. A song that we like to sing often, Psalm 95, 7. He is our God. We are the people of His pasture, the flock under His care. The psalmist talks about how He strayed like lost sheep. Psalm 119, 176. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 53, verse 6, says that we all like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all, and He has brought us back. Just beautiful pictures in the Old and New Testament about God as a shepherd, God's leaders as a shepherd, under shepherds as well, and and God's people as being sheep. Now at the same time, especially in the Old Testament, there are severe warnings and rebukes against false shepherds. Leaders who speak presumptuously. Leaders, instead of leading God's people to God, they're leading them astray instead of providing for the flock they're taking them taking advantage of them instead of protecting god's people they are the ones destroying god's people the old testament prophets like jeremiah and ezekiel prophesied of god's fierce anger at these false shepherds when jeremiah talks about how god will himself rub Feces, rubbish, waste on the face of these false shepherds because of his anger. Turn with me to Jeremiah 23, and we'll read some verses. And as you can see here, God's utter contempt, God's indignation against these false shepherds of God's people. Jeremiah 23, verse 1, it begins by saying, Woe to the shepherds! who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture. That woe is a term of condemnation, a word of damnation, condemning them. This is what the Lord says, to the shepherds who tend my people, because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have, and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. Their sinfulness is, is clear, it is blatant. In verse 11, God talks about how, how proud they are, how arrogant they are, because they're not sitting in some corner of Israel, they're sinning blatantly in Jerusalem, they're sinning in the temple of God. Verse 11, Both prophet and priest are godless, even in my temple. Before God's holy presence, God says, I find their wickedness. Verse 13, Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal, and led my people Israel astray. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. Now these are the leaders. These are the the priests, The prophets, the religious leaders of Israel, they commit adultery, they live a lie, they strengthen the hands of evildoers, so that no one turns from his wickedness. They are all like Sodom to me, the people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Therefore, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I will make them eat bitter food and drink poisoned water because from the prophets of Jerusalem ungodliness has spread throughout the land. What causes God God to have the greatest anger? Is their false teaching? They are not only practicing wickedness but they are teaching wickedness. Verse 16, this is what the Lord says, Do not listen to what the prophets are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, You will have peace, no harm will come to you. But which of them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see or to hear His word? Who has listened and heard His word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind soaring down the heads of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until He fully accomplishes the purposes of His heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they have run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. God promises His divine judgment. A day of reckoning when these false shepherds will get their due punishment. Verse 39, God says, I will forget you. I will cast you out of my presence. Verse 40, I will bring upon you everlasting disgrace, everlasting shame that will not be forgotten. One other passage, turn with me to Ezekiel 34. I think all pastors, all Christian leaders today ought to memorize, meditate deeply upon Jeremiah 23 and Ezekiel 34. Here Ezekiel the prophet again rebukes the false leaders of Israel. He points out their greed, their pride, their selfishness. He points out with detailed accuracy a description of their faithlessness to the flock of God. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays, or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. Because of that, they were scattered, because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains, and on every high hill, they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched, Or looked for them. God makes it clear. His judgment and anger against the false shepherds of God's people. And the people of Israel. People of God knew these verses. They had a clear understanding of these scriptures. And it is... We find ourselves again in John 10. Our Lord talking about the true shepherd of God as opposed to these false shepherds. Now, think with me, people. What brought about Christ talking about Himself as a shepherd and thief and robber, people coming in, climbing over to, to destroy God's people? What brought this about? What caused Him to identify Himself as a true shepherd of the people of Israel? What compelled our Lord to teach this truth at this precise moment in His ministry. Go with me to John chapter 10 and let's look at the context. Several months ago, we studied John chapter 9. You remember what happened in John 9? At the end of John chapter 8, our Lord was in the Feast of Tabernacles. He was in, He was behind enemy lines. He was pointing fingers. Remember, he took off his jacket. Spiritual battle. He was calling out these Pharisees, Sadducees, the leaders of Israel. And he was calling them children of Satan. He was calling them uh, false leaders, hypocrites. And they picked up stones to kill him at that very spot. Our Lord leaves the temple court in John 9. And as he's on his way out, his disciples notice a blind man. And they ask him, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he's born blind. It's probably his way of begging for money or food. He's pleading to the people passing by, I was born blind, please help me. And that incurs a question on the disciples. And our Lord, while he's running for his life, he stops. And he said, this man is blind, not because of sin. This man is blind, so that God's work might be done. And our Lord heals this man. He performs an incredible miracle. Something that has never been recorded in all of the Bible. It it was never even heard of. When his neighbors find find out, they say, we've never heard of such a thing. Healing of a man who was born blind. This man didn't recover his sight. He never had it. For the first time in his life, he he can see. Now, now, the Pharisees come upon us on the scene. And it is clear to them what had happened. Now, if they were true leaders of Israel, they would have done two things. Number one, they would have rejoiced at this wonderful miracle. Right? They would have. I mean if you were if you're in my place and someone is born blind at your church and God performs a miracle and that person gains sight. If you were a good shepherd, you would rejoice. You would worship. You would at the same time weep loud tears. At the same time, you would celebrate with loud cries of joy. You would be embracing Him. You'd be embracing His family. Everyone you can find, you'd be embracing that person because of this awesome miracle. You'd be gathered together and rejoicing and praising God if you were a true shepherd. And number two, you would have been cut to the heart. You would, be, you would have been humbled by our Lord's compassion. You would be humiliated by our Lord's power, authority, that you would bow down before Christ. You would prostrate yourself at the feet of Christ. You would worship Him, beg for forgiveness, confess your sins, and plead for mercy. All right, isn't that what a true shepherd would do at this great miracle? Now, how did the Pharisees respond to this? They didn't do either. Instead of loving and worshiping Christ, they hated Him even more. Instead of resolving to follow Jesus, they grew in their resolve to murder Christ. Now why? Why would they do this? Because John chapter 9 verse 14, The day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. All right. Our Lord, by, by making mud, He worked on the Sabbath. And by healing this man on Sabbath, He worked. And He broke the tradition of the Pharisees. Right. And because of this, they were indignant. They concluded, verse 16, This man is not from God. He does not keep the Sabbath. They bring this man... Go down to verse 20, 28. They bring this man for a second time to interview him at twenty-four, twenty-five, And they say, did this man heal you? Don't you know he's a sinner? And the blind, formerly blind man responds, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. but One thing I know, I was blind, but I'm, I can see. And then they hurl insults at him, verse 28. Saying, we are disciples of Moses. And again, we realize now, they're not disciples of Moses their disciples of Pharaoh seeing the, the miracles of Christ their hearts are melting like butter, their hearts are hardening like clay the, the formerly blind man responds with impeccable logic verse 31 we all know God does not listen to sinners he only listens to the godly man who does his will Nobody has ever heard about a man born blind being being healed. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. That's like logic one oh one. This man's from God. I can see. What is the response of these religious leaders? To this they replied you were steeped in sin at birth, verse 34. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They cast him out. And I believe it is not a mere casting out of the temple courts. They cast him out of the synagogue. Right. Earlier they had interviewed this man's parents. And they were afraid of giving testimony. Because the Pharisees had declared that any followers of Christ will be unsynagogued. Separated from the the life of Israel, separated from the, the Israel society, and this man was kicked out of God's community. Well, in verse thirty-five, when Jesus heard what happened, our Lord went searching for this man, and he and he found him. He sought him out physically. And then verses 35 to 38, he seeks him out spiritually. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I may believe in him. Verse 37, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Our Lord found him physically and he called him spiritually. And this man became a follower of Christ. Now, consider the scene. They're still in the temple courts. Our Lord is there. The disciples are there. This blind, formerly blind man is there, worshiping Christ. The crowds are gathered. I mean, just thousands of people are gathered, listening and watching this. And then verse 40, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel are also there. It is in this context, Christ says, I am the true shepherd. All the others who do not come to the door, they climb in, they are thieves and robbers. Ezekiel rebuked the wicked shepherds of Israel who cared for themselves at the expense of God's flock. They preyed upon the sheep instead of protecting them. They fed and clothed themselves at the expense of the flock, not doing anything for the needs of the flock our Lord sees the Pharisees expelling this man, a worshiper of God. And He relays the same exact rebuke that you are false shepherds. You're, you're not here for God's interests. You're not here taking care of the flock. You're here just taking care of yourself. You're abusing your authority. You know, I want to relate to you The pathos of what's going on here. The emotions of what's what's going on. I always thought that John 10 was spoken by Christ. You know, I am the good shepherd. And a good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep with a smile. Christ is gently teaching. In the context, I don't believe that's how Christ is teaching this passage. I believe his voice is raised. I believe he is righteously angry. He is pointing his fingers at these false leaders. I want to highlight to you just just the negligence, the evil, the wickedness of false religious leaders. Now, I struggled greatly whether to share this news story today or not. I mean, I went back and forth several times, whether sharing it with you or not, because it is so disturbing. I talked to my wife several times and explained the details and and asked her if if she thought it would be appropriate to be shared in the church because it is very graphic and disturbing. Now, I chose to share it with you for this reason alone because I want all of us to understand not just the intellectual understanding of this text, intellectual truth of this passage. I want all of us to understand the spiritual, the emotional thrust of this text. What is really going on here in the historical context? This past weekend, September 4th, 2003, Colorado Gazette. The title of the article is, Mom Gets 64 Years for Abuse. A judge, a doctor, a prosecutor, and three cops called it the worst child abuse they would ever seen. Burns, whip marks, and open sores covered the six-year-old boy's malnourished body. A patch of hair was missing from one of the times his mother duct taped his entire head, except for a mouth hole for him to breathe through. Bruises lined his neck from the dog collar he was forced to wear prosecutors and investigators that the mother, Tanya, and her mother, Faith, heaped abuse on the boy for three months. He was born with lighters, red-hot quarters, and nutcrackers that were taped or applied all over his body. They starved him, scalded him with steam, blindfolded him, and forced him to survive for days, duct-taped to a table. The woman would... Pick at his wounds when they began to heal, prosecutors said. They forced him to sleep in a dog cage, wear a leash, and wear diapers, according to testimony. Amy Gardner, a police officer at the state hospital, testified, that was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Dr. Sharon Kessler, a dermatologist who examined the boy, said, the injury so upset her, she had to leave the hospital room to compose herself. It was the worst she had ever seen, she said. She said the child was systematically tortured and starved over a long period of time. Fourth Judicial District Judge Thomas Kennedy listened to the horror stories and looked at pictures documenting the abuse. Silence hung over the courtroom as the judge took a full minute to compose himself before facing the woman and blinking back tears. The judge... Angered and indignant said, I have no clue what demons possessed you to do this to a child that you bore. Even war criminals torturing prisoners don't inflict the suffering you did. The judge sentenced her this past Friday to 64 years in prison, the maximum allowed under Colorado law. The judge said that he would have imposed a harsher punishment if he was able. The judge was rightly angry at this mother. Instead of caring, protecting, and nurturing her child, she did the opposite. And it exactly parallels God's anger, our Lord's anger against these false shepherds of Israel. These leaders were abusing God's people. Because of their selfishness, their pride, their arrogance, they were destroying the people of God. Righteous anger is exactly what our Lord is feeling in John chapter 10. In Matthew 9 it says, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. This is the reason behind our Lord's scathing rebuke of the Pharisees in Matthew 23. Within a week before His death, He turned to the religious leaders of Israel in Matthew 23 and He rebuked them. He said, Woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you blind guides, you snakes, you brutal vipers. He concluded that chapter by saying, How will you escape being condemned to hell? It is in this historical context in which our Lord taught John chapter 10. We need to be mindful that our Lord here is speaking with authority. He is speaking with power. And I believe with righteous anger. The main theme is, There are many things to be learned from John 10. But the main theme is that that Jesus Christ is a good shepherd. And that these religious leaders, in fact, all false religion, their leaders are false shepherds. That Christ alone is the true shepherd of God's people. Well, with our time remaining, let's go to the first five verses of John 10. We will see four proofs that Jesus gives that he is the true shepherd of God's people, not the Pharisees. Let's read the text once again. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep to him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought out all his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers here we find four proofs of Jesus as the good shepherd First of all, he enters through the door. Secondly, he knows and calls each sheep by name. Third, he goes before the sheep. Fourthly, the sheep listen to him and follow him as a true shepherd. We'll go through all of this point by point. Now, when our Lord spoke this um, you know, parable, extended metaphor... Shepherding sheep is common knowledge to the audience. Not for all of us here, it's very foreign to us, is it not? I mean, the closest we get to, the, to sheep is maybe San Diego Zoo. Or when we play uh, the Settlers, you know, we trade sheep. <laughs> That's the closest we get to sheep. So, <laughs> we need to do some background material here to explain, to rightly understand this passage. Now, first of all, what is a sheepfold? Sheepfold, excuse me. What is a sheepfold? Several shepherds, with their flock, for convenience' sake, would come together and build a pen, a large gated structure, in the open field, and they would build a, build a gate, and several shepherds would herd their flock into a common sheepfold and keep them overnight to protect them against predators, against thieves and robbers. And either they would rotate and watch the gate, or they would hire someone out to be the door gatekeeper, doorkeeper, right? and to protect the sheep overnight. In the morning, the shepherd would arrive at the sheepfold, and because they hired the gatekeeper or one of the fellow shepherds, the gatekeeper, the gatekeeper would know this is one of the shepherds and would open the door to let him in to the sheepfold. And that is what, what is happening here. The first mark that the proof that Christ is a true shepherd is <clears throat> that he enters through the door. He enters through the door. He is the only one. The ones who do not enter, that man is a thief and a robber. A thief is someone who steals covertly, secretly, comes in the middle of night. Or a robber is someone who uses violence to steal. Our Lord says, He who enters by the door is a shepherd. First part of verse 3, To him the gatekeeper opens. Now, who is a gatekeeper? We don't want to extend this metaphor and identify each character. But just by our understanding of the Gospel of John, in a narrow application, the gatekeeper can be rightly seen as John the Baptist. David, beginning with Saul, was anointed by the prophet Samuel, and said, this is the king of Israel. When God changed his mind, God spoke to the prophet of Samuel, and anointed David as king. And God promised that from the line of David, the Messiah would come. And here comes John the Baptist. And in John one thirty one. The Baptist says, the reason I came was so that he, the Messiah, might be revealed to Israel. And when he saw Jesus, John the Baptist pointed to Jesus as the shepherd, as the Messiah come from God. So in a narrow application, it points to John the Baptist. In a wider application, the, the gatekeeper points to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit who vouched, confirmed the deity of Christ by the working of miracles. The fact that He healed the blind man. The the fact that he, he, He gave hearing to the deaf. even raised the dead. These are all works of the Holy Spirit. Works of God Himself. Affirming Jesus as a true shepherd. On the contrary, the Pharisees These other religious leaders were not appointed by God. In Matthew 23, 2, it says that the teacher, Christ says, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees seat themselves in Moses' seat. They are self-appointed men. They were not affirmed by John the Baptist. They have no conforming miracles, no confirmation by God, certainly not by Christ. These men are the thieves and robbers. Go to verse 3. Here we see the second proof that Jesus is a true shepherd. The sheep hear His voice and He calls His own sheep by name and He leads them out. Now, this is what's really interesting about shepherding in, in in Eastern culture. Because several shepherds would have their flock intermingled overnight in one common sheepfold, each shepherd would come And they would know their sheep by name. That intimate knowledge of their sheep. And they would call them out. And the sheep would respond to the voice and come out one by one. This is even documented today. They've done uh, research where they would blindfold shepherds and just by the cries or the uh, noises of the the particular sheep, they would know which one it is. Shepherd would call and they would come. When the true shepherd came and called, they were drawn to his call. They could not resist. So second mark is, the true shepherd knows and calls each sheep by name. What is true for shepherds, in a an agrarian sense, is truer for in a spiritual sense. That in spiritually... Christ knows us by name. Romans 8, 28-30 says, God foreknew us. He had intimate knowledge of us. And based upon that intimate knowledge, He predestined us. And based on that predestination, He called us. And when He calls God's people, the elect, it's that theological term, it's irresistible. True believers cannot resist that call. We hear our Master's voice calling us by name. And we are drawn to Him. We follow Him because He foreknew us, because He predestined us. And when He calls us, we are drawn towards Him. That is why as we go on and we preach the Gospel, we have a general call to people, calling them to follow Christ. At the same time, through the gospel message, God calls internally, effectually, irresistibly, where the elect, they hear the master's voice and they respond to be saved. The third proof is that the true shepherd goes before the sheep true shepherd goes before the sheep. He risks himself to protect the sheep. Verse 4, When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And again, this is customary in the East. If you've been to Ireland, if you've been seeing pictures of shepherds in the Western culture, you see him with a long rod driving the sheep. Not so in the East. Because they have such intimate Knowledge, such a close relationship with the sheep. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. All the shepherd does is he leads them out. And he calls, he speaks, and they follow him. They follow his voice. It's the exact opposite in the east. He leads the way. He goes before them to seek the best pastures, the watering places. He goes before them to protect them from danger. He's not just pointing out the way. He is going before them to see that it is safe. He is armed. He is able to defend the sheep. He is courageous. Lions, wolves, other fierce predators prowled around seeking to devour the sheep. Thieves and robbers are prowling to steal as well. He is ready to do battle at a moment's warning. Because He goes before them. In this, it is beautifully represented, the tender care of Christ, who watches our souls and He goes before us. Teaches us the faithful shepherd goes before to lead and protect the flock. He is the example that the flock follows. That's what Peter wrote about in 1 Peter 2, 20-25 talking about suffering and persecution and trials, he says in verse 21, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in His mouth. When they hurled their insults at Him, He did not retaliate. When He suffered, He made no threats. Instead, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Our Lord did not stand behind us and, and send us to fiery trial. He did not send us to persecution and hardship standing behind us. No, He led the way. He suffered. He went to the cross. And He endured it with integrity and holiness. As an example to us, proving himself to be a true shepherd, to be the true shepherd. Fourth, the final mark of a true shepherd. Verse 4, second part. The sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Fourth mark is the sheep, they not only listen to, but they know the true shepherd's voice, and they follow him. They know his voice. Now, studying about sheep this week, I I was reminded again, knew this from years past, that sheep are relatively dumb animals. I mean, they don't even come close to the IQ of monkeys, pigs, dogs, or even horses. Sheep scare easily, panic quickly, and are really defenseless against all predators. Their only defense is to run. But they are very poor runners. They can't outrun any predator. they are only one saving feature. This is one thing they do very well. Is that they listen to the voice of the shepherd. And they follow that voice wherever it leads. So you can't train cows to do that. Cows must be herded. You have to have several, I don't know, cowboys I guess. Right? Herding cows. One cowboy can't do it because they must be herded. Not so with sheep. An expert shepherd, you can have several hundred. And you can just call them by name, speak, and they will follow the shepherd. His sheep. only Only his sheep. Follow him obediently and faithfully. A false shepherd would come in the same clothes. Uh, Disguised as the true shepherd. but When that false shepherd speaks, the sheep can immediately discern, this is not the true shepherd. He is not my shepherd. They will not only not follow him, they will flee from the false shepherd. True sheep can discern rightly who the true shepherd is. Here is the fourth mark, the final mark. True believers know the voice of Christ. Matthew twenty four twenty four says that the elect really cannot be deceived. Right, Matthew twenty four twenty four, Christ says, antichrist and false prophets will come and perform incredible signs to deceive the elect. If the elect can be deceived, what is he saying? Their deceiving power is so great, but not so great because the elect. God's people cannot be deceived. Why? Because they know the voice of the shepherd. They know the voice of the word of God. The youngest believer, if you're saved, you're one day old in Christ. Because the Holy Spirit living in you, you know God's word. You know truth. You know the master's voice instinctively. And believers will follow Christ. They cannot be deceived by false shepherds four marks that Christ is indeed the true shepherd he enters through the door the gatekeeper opens for him alone he has intimate knowledge of the sheep and he calls them by name he goes before them he sets the example he suffers to protect the sheep and finally the sheep listens to and follows the true shepherd Just to close our time, maybe just two quick applications. I think there's so much that can be applied in our study today. Again, maybe the first part would be the evil of false religion. Evil of false religion. Our Lord reveals just the utter spiritual bankruptcy, the corruptness of false religion. Whether it's Judaism, Judaism, Roman Catholic, Catholicism, Jehovah Witnesses, Islam, Hinduism, secular humanism, atheism, whether it's psychology, any system apart from Christ, if they enter the fold apart from the door, they come in some other way. They have only one purpose. That's to steal to rob and to destroy. Christ is the only true shepherd and our sufficiency lies with Him. This is a message that the church needs to understand. You know, we have a, in our church used to be a real, still is, but we used to be a real sports church and we used to get together with 15 other churches and play softball. This past year, they had a, a team from a Roman Catholic church participate in this tournament as a Christian tournament. They worship together, they pray together, and they fellowship together in the name of love and unity. They don't understand John chapter 10 that Christ is the only true shepherd. Second application will be maybe this week We all ought to go back to Psalm 23, 1 through 6, and just contemplate for a little bit, maybe for a while, what it means that Christ is our shepherd. That He is not like the leaders that we're disappointed with on the world. He's not a man. He's not a a human leader. He is God. And David says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I have everything I need. If you're struggling with anxiety, if you're discontent over some issue in life, if you're afraid, maybe you should consider the fact that Jesus Christ is my shepherd. He is going before me. He is calling me. He is leading me. Why am I anxious? Why am I afraid? Why am I discontent? We should consider how He makes me lie down in green pastures. Beside quiet waters, He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. We should consider how Christ cares for all of our needs. Every physical need is provided by Christ. Green pastures, still waters. Our Lord shepherds us and scours the land to to take care of us physically. But not only that... As our spiritual shepherd, He meets and takes care of our spiritual needs. He restores our souls. He guides us in the paths of righteousness. How all the more we should be vigilant in following our shepherd. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. Encouragement to all believers. That through life's sufferings, disappointments, hardships, we need not, we ought not fear death, ought not fear pain, because Christ, our shepherd, is with us. His presence, the knowledge of His presence, is a source of our confidence as believers. And finally, He's not our temporary shepherd, He's our eternal shepherd goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Not only on the earth, but I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He will be our shepherd for eternity. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are so prone to wander from the fold. We are so prone to stray away and go our own way, God. Lord, we pray that we would hear clearly your voice through the word of God. And Lord, that may that be irresistible to our hearts. May we be drawn to you like a moth to a flame. May our hearts turn and gravitate towards you. Because you are our true shepherd and we are, we are your flock. We are your people. Lord, we do pray that we be faithful to you, God. That we would have our confidence and our trust in you and you alone. And Lord, as under-shepherds in the Church of Christ, grant us discernment, grant us wisdom, Grant us soberness to make sure that we are not false shepherds. That we are not ministering for our selfish gain. That our motivation is not based on pride or based on greed. Lord, that we would make sure that we are under shepherds, under the chief shepherd of Christ. And that we, we do all things according to your word. And Lord, that you would help all of us to discern error from truth and that we might protect one another and protect the flock from false shepherds so that we might rightly follow you. Lord, what a comforting and challenging passage for us. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for your truth. In the Lord's name we pray. Amen. Amen.